Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Right now on Let's Talk About Treks, this is Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 10, A Quality of Mercy. This is Earl Grey. How's it going, Earl Grey? My name is Jack Dorino. Nice to meet you, Jack. We've met. Charmed, I'm sure. How's it going with you today, Earl? It's going better now that I'm on the show. I'm looking forward to the show. Oh, good. I'm not looking forward to the end of the season, but... Yeah, yeah, you and me both. Star Trek Strange New Worlds has been a great journey, and I'm glad to have been able to be here to see it and to be along on this journey. I it, It's been quite a ride, hasn't it? In fact, it's been such a ride that we're going to... Next week have a season one wrap up show, which is something out of out of the ordinary for us here on Let's Talk About Treks. Yes, the wrap up show. We will be going over the polls. We will be correlating and figuring out how many characters got each vote, which characters got the best lines and how many women. We'll be able to see if somebody got the most MVPs. We'll be able to see we'll be able to see between Earl Grey and Jack Dorino who had the the most popular backdoor pilots and between the two of us who got the most votes period yes and and also we'll be discussing of course the season the entire season of star trek strange new worlds yes i hope you'll join us for that it's it's gonna be an exciting time i'll be here will you i will be around thusly i won't be a square because the reason people called you a square is because you weren't around Oh, cool. So be there or be square. Interesting. Yeah, the, the question was directed in our audience. Oh, my bad. Please be sure to join us. It will be a... It's going to be a rocking good time. Join us. <laughs> so in this episode... Yes, this episode. The 10th episode of Strange New Worlds. It was released on the 7th of July in 2022. It was written by Henry Alonzo Myers and, welcome back to the writing team, Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> Akiva Goldsman is like a little bit of Star Trek royalty. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a, he's not quite a prince, but he's definitely like a lord. Okay. He definitely has a large fiefdom. He actually was an executive producer of Fringe, which was a great show, uh, along with Alex Kurtzman and Roberta Orsi. I wonder if that's where I know him from then. Who, Akiva Goldsman? Yeah, I was pretty familiar with the name. I just didn't know where. Ah, there we are. The first episode that he wrote, he directed also mm-hmm. uh, for, okay. for television on, on Fringe. What was that show about? Fringe? It was sort of a new uh, telling of um, the X-Files with a more... Oh, interestingly, it was... Oh, that's very interesting. So where the X-Files was episodic in like Monster of the Week, uh, uh-huh. Fringe was episodic and Monster of the Week, but they also had storylines, like clear storylines, not like will they, won't they, because that doesn't really count, but yeah. like clear storylines and arcs for characters during the course of the show. Mm-hmm. In addition to the Monster of the Week, it's very interesting how similar that uh, structure is to Strange New Worlds. Ah, okay. I always thought, I always thought when I was watching, I did watch the whole series of French. I thought it was great. Um, mm. There was an alternate universe plot, which was incredible, and the way they wove those stories together was phenomenal. And I always thought that 
it would be awesome if the people who are making that show would make some Star Trek and look, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I thought this was a Frakesian episode. It it did seem very Frakesy, right? But it was directed actually yeah. by Chris Fisher. Interesting story about Frakes is that he was supposed to direct an episode of this season, mm-hmm. but was unable to due to some sort of scheduling issue. I'm it, and I'm curious as to whether it was this episode that would have gone to him because it seems like a little it's a little Frakesy influenced. Yeah. So was that because he was recording a different show? Maybe a voiceover on a different show? I believe he's working on another show, yes. Star Trek Riker? I don't know what show he was working on. I just know he was working on another show. Oh, okay. No speculation here, then. There's no Riker project planned. Oh, okay. Or a Star Trek Titan? On Stardate... 1457.9 at the edge of the neutral zone the Enterprise and the USS Cayuga have arrived to help the listening posts that guard the neutral zone with much needed retrofitting and supplies all is going smoothly until Captain Pike accidentally meets the commander's son a boy whose dastardly destiny Pike is painfully aware of Later, during a conflicted attempt to compose a letter to save the boy from his fate, Pike is confronted by an alternate future version of himself attempting to convince his present self not to attempt altering the timeline. Using a time crystal, Pike 2259 is inserted into 2266, specifically Stardate 1709, where an alternate version of the events of Balance of Terror take place in this alternate version of balance of terror uh, kirk is not in command of the enterprise and instead pike is in command of the enterprise and there's a markedly different command style that these gentlemen have and Mm -hmm. it turns out that pike's command style results in the declaration of a romulan war yes and importantly it also results in the horrible and horrendous death of our famed Mr. Spock. Yes. Who, as we know, was eventually responsible for the unification of Navarre. Oh. So Pike has had this vision and seen why he needs to do the rescue death scene. And then is able to move forward with a little bit of pep in his step because he is glad to know of his purpose and glad to have, uh, glad to know the good thing he's doing by you know yeah. following his path um yeah. the episode is bookended by what's becoming a new thing in star trek it happened in in prodigy uh, there's a the call coming in from starfleet and captain battelle comes aboard and takes una in for a rest for being yeah an illyrian what yeah and that's how they ended uh, season two <laughs> yes of lower decks yes it was and at one point i remember you sent me a message about you know if it's a cliffhanger when you do dun 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 right yeah well yeah. if you'll notice at the end of this episode they did a better dun 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 than we got at the best of both worlds okay i mean so you gotta go Luna back has and- been captured by a an other and we don't know if Una's coming back. Is that no? I mean, the actual sound, the music. Oh, we did. 
Yes, you have to go back and listen to it. It's it's amazing. Okay, let's pause right there. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> Piano and then bump, 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 bump. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, I hear that. Well, and you almost get a Mr. War fire because you, uh, Pike is like, this isn't over yet. And and they sort of one-up the dun-dun-dun because... <laughs> Pike does the, the he breaks the fourth wall and he's like looking down the barrel of the camera yeah and I'm like whoa wait is he breaking the fourth wall yeah <laughs> oh, did they tell him to do that or did they just like what he did and they're like oh, yeah keep it I mean either way it works I think it's a wonderful yeah. last few moments to a season not to jump all the way forward in the uh, you know in the episode mm, okay so, uh, speaking of incredible performances, yes, who do you think the MVP was? So let me tell you something. All right. There, there's a, there's a bit of acting in this episode that I have to call out. Okay. Melissa Navia. What's the character's name? It's Ortegas. Oh, okay. Yeah. One helpful thing to do after you've watched A Quality of Mercy is to go back and watch the old scientists era episode called Balance of Terror. Yeah. As it turns out, what Pike has done mm -hmm. is he has leapt out of a future where Balance of Terror turned out differently because Pike was at the helm and he's allowed us to see Pike at the helm of exactly that episode. This episode yeah. The events in the future, in the seven years in the future, mirror so closely those of Balance of Terror. And Melissa and Navia perfectly emulates the helm officer on mm -hmm. the Enterprise in that episode. Where the first time around, I was like, what is she doing? Like, what's <laughs> wrong with her? Yeah. And then when I watched Balance of Terror, I realized, oh, she's doing him. Like she's yeah. she's 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 doing exactly what he was doing in that episode, and it's highly amusing. Yeah, and part of it doesn't matter because it's not out of character for them because they're in an alternate universe, and it's not going to be turn turn out how the character is. Sure, sure, one would hope yeah. that. My MVP for the episode though was Red Pike. Red Pike. Okay. Yes. He capitulated the events that saved. Uh, Spock and thus much of the galaxy. I kind of wanted to pick him. I wanted to try and justify it, but uh, you know, and I get, I, I get your point, and I see it more clearly now. But I went with Spock, huh? Because he did the thing that was necessary. That was the needs of, that was the uh, better for the needs of the one or the needs of the many. Who did Spock? He went down to the Jeffries tube and he lost a leg and he, you know, it'll be scarred for life. And... Yes, but then importantly, Pike gave his life so that that wouldn't happen, which is then in turn why Spock in the cage is, or in the menagerie rather, is yeah. so adamant about going and getting Pike and taking him somewhere to help him. Like that's right. what this episode clicked for me was that suddenly because it never made it, it 
it like always irked me a little bit like spock has gone off his rocker to go and like grab his old uh his old captain and like violate oh. all these major starfleet orders in order to get his old captain to this planet and this episode suddenly explains to me oh this is why because pike has already given his life for spock mm. so now okay. spock feels you know obligated in a sense or you know it like it would just be a it, just within himself he feels obligated like well, this man gave his life for me i need to go and make sure that he's okay you know like it clicked that part of that episode home for me okay cool what do you guys think i think that um they can't answer <laughs> i do think that the difference that we see between spock uh, you know our regular uh, 2259 Spock and the Spock in 2266 may be that Spock has completed his colon arm. Ooh. And I think that that's why he's a so little he more Spock. About a decade early? Well, this is a, di I mean, this is a different timeline. Yeah. So things are, you know, different. Yeah. All right. This new timeline that yeah. Red Pike comes from starts when. Well, it really starts when uh, when Pike starts warning the kids, but it really, really changes when the Romulans declare war against the Federation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was a there was a lot to this episode, and I'm glad that during this episode I felt a weight lift because mm -hmm. where Star Trek Discovery put a bunch of weight on Pike's shoulders. Mm -hmm. and gave him a lot of baggage to carry around strange new worlds has now lifted that baggage from him and set him you know as free as you can be it's not really a burden anymore it's a it's a purpose now mm -hmm. because before he was viewing it as you know something horrible and now yeah. he can view it as the best alternative i am saving the galaxy yeah and preventing a romulan war i feel like now instead of it being a negative that now it's a privilege. Like now he gets to be the person that prevents a Romulan war from happening and he gets to be the person who saves those cadets and he gets to be the one to save Spock. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was a little bit remiss in my research. After I watched this episode the first couple of times, I decided to go and watch the Those Old Scientists era episode, Balance of Terror. Mm -hmm. And when I started watching it, I realized, oh, they did a near one for one of like what happened that episode, including the tone and the costumes and the set design. Uh, yeah. And w what was not uh, a one to one was the title, because this was Balance of Terror originally, and now it's quality or, you know, became Quality of Mercy and Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. There was another episode that has something similar, and that was Errand of Mercy, which yeah. I think last episode of our show I mentioned that I, I confused the two episodes, Balance of Terror and mm -hmm. Errand of Mercy. But now I also want to watch Errand of Mercy and <laughs> see if there's something there that connects to this episode also. Because had I not just decided to go watch Balance of Terror, I wouldn't have realized, oh, this is exactly what they did to the point where Melissa Navia's portrayal of the helm officer mm -hmm. is ridiculously spot on. Did you watch Balance yeah. of Terror also? 
I did watch Balance of Terror, and yeah, I did really notice how similar her portrayal was to the point where I was wondering myself because I mean the the officer that was being portrayed in Balance of Terror yes indicated that he had lost some family members during the Romulan Earth War and I was she didn't specifically say this but I was wondering if they were implying that Ortegas also had some of this come in on her that's very interesting i don't think i caught that line when i was watching the original episode but Mm -hmm. it makes me wonder wasn't the romulan war a hundred years ago yeah he wouldn't have any direct family right at all how would he even know that he lost family members in the romulan war what well um one by the 23rd century people live longer so like do you know do you know what family members you have that died in world war ii i don't think we had anybody in service back then huh okay you know but i know that my grandfather was in korea yes but do you know anyone who didn't come home from war i can't picture anybody right now to my Uh, recollection yeah but there i mean there's nothing that says that styles wasn't into genealogy fair enough got you yes We've been able to recover from the eugenics wars and World War III enough that new records have been started to be able to reaccumulate. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, speaking of genealogy, um, there's there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain Romulan I saw once on uh, Romulus, the homeworld, with Picard, who mm-hmm. looks just like one of the Romulans in the, one of the Romulans in this episode, and I swear that they're related. Okay. Are they played by the same actor? No, I mean they look like it. It's, uh-huh. One was played by Brent Spiner. <laughs> okay. And the other one was played by one of the Romulans in this episode. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to that when I get to Picard season two. No, this episode. Brent, oh, in this Brent episode? Spiner. Yeah, the guy, the other Romulan looks like Brent. Doesn't he? He doesn't look like Data to you. Data and Romulan. Okay. All right, moving the, on. The uh, Romulan commander. No, the other one. With the beard. Does he have a beard? He has a beard. Okay, let's continue. Say say some things, please. Well, the one thing I thought was that they missed an opportunity to have James, um, what's his James face? James Frain, sure. Sure, I thought that James Frain should have played the Romulan commander as well. That would have been a great nod to uh, Balance of Terror had they had the gentleman who plays Sarek in this uh, era of Star yeah. Trek play uh, the Romulan commander in this in this show but i also felt like they could have had either una or chapel play the computer's voice and that would have been you know along yeah. the same lines yeah they chose not yeah. to do that for some reason yeah when i first saw red pike mm-hmm. uh, the first thing i wondered was what years were those uniforms in service okay so i looked it up and the year that i found which could conceivably be incorrect the year that i found said 2285 to 2395 yeah i think there was a pretty much a comparison to the year that those movies started being released because didn't uh star trek 2 come out in 1985 oh that's interesting oh i hadn't i had forgotten about that the the years matching up that's oh 23 2266 dumbass okay all right <laughs> oh, okay. So we actually flash forward to. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, all right. 
Yeah, so in the context of the show, it's literally 300 years in the future. Well, the original series was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everything else has been sort of like, is is off from that. Yeah. Okay. So um, the movie, the movie uniforms is the next mm-hmm. thing I thought of was like the, the first movie, the Star Trek one, you know, Star Trek, the motion, the motion picture. picture. Sure. Yeah. It had its own brand of uniforms. Yes. But apparently those were, I guess the year, I guess the reason the age range that I found, the range of years that I found says 2285 is because that's when the next movie came and they changed the uniforms. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's conceivable then that those red uniforms were used before 2285, correct? Yes. Okay. It's so, also... Do we know yeah. what year Red Pike comes from? We don't exactly. We do know that based on the pins on his wrist, that he is an admiral. Huh. I forget if it's specifically a rear admiral. Okay. But he is an admiral. Interesting. Oh, so Admiral Pike. Yes. Okay. I was trying to figure out what to call him. I assumed that Red Pike was going to be the, the convention, but I think Admiral Pike works. Yes, I. That's why I brought that up because I'll be referring to him as Admiral Pike. I was very interested in Admiral Pike. Hmm. If, if he just didn't retire after his five, his most recent five-year mission that we're seeing it. Oh, I don't think he could. Oh wait, no, he could. I so the the timeline of this episode kept messing me up. I kept thinking that that the Romanian War started now because of something that was different now, and that's why he stayed in the force. But he stayed. Why did he stay? Um, because we were, they were in war, and he wanted to stay. In- oh, because he because he because he prevented the accident from happening. So the accident is the only thing that took him out of the chair. Possibly, yeah. I mean, they, they let Kirk keep his, his position as long as he wanted to. Uh, what do you mean by that? Kirk served on the Enterprise, the the original series Enterprise. He served on the movie Enterprise, and he moved, served on the Enterprise A. They didn't force him into retirement, as far as we know. He came out of retirement to go into the uh, christening of the Enterprise B. Oh. But he still was active and, and doing things. You know, the, there's a cut scene from Generations where he's doing a, a near-war uh, skydive. Oh, okay. There's no reason that that couldn't have been Pike, except for the war. Sure. And that's another thing. It, when, when things happen like this, one of the things that Franklin Roosevelt said is the reason he ran again for the third and fourth time was he wanted a continuity. It, it was better to have a continuity of leadership throughout the whole war. I think that Pike might have had, you know, at least on his ship, the one thing that he can control is have a continuity of leadership throughout the whole war. But there's no war until 2266. That's when he started the war. Yeah, but 2266. That's seven years in the future. So, but he was supposed to be gone. I think 2266 is the beginning of Kirk's command on the end. Wait a minute. So wait, I'm confused about the timeline. Because when we first started this thing, this thing was going to happen 10 years in the future, right? So that that event should have happened not in 2266. It, it was in the, it was 10 years in the future from 2259, correct? Or were, are we well, saying now that, that 10 is just rounding up? Because this event happened seven years in the future. Yeah. And Spock mentions during the Time Crystal, John, that... 
the event in question happened six months ago. Yes. So that means that the event that we thought was 10 years from now is actually seven years from now or six and a half years from now. Well, I've always been confused where you get 2259. The second season of Discovery happens in 2258. Mm. We pick up in Strange New Worlds just after Discovery left. Mm-hmm. So this this is 2259. So you're saying something that happens 10 years from then should be 2269, correct. So why are we in 2266? Why do I think we're in 2266? What tells me that? They they said 20 years. They, they said it right now. They said 2266. They shouldn't have. Well, let's call them out on that then. We just did because they shouldn't have. <laughs> no, no, like, I don't know. Like, if, I'm trying to figure out how I'm wrong because there's no way they didn't see that this math was wrong because it's seven years. So, I guess, so are we, we're just going to say that Pike was rounding up when he said 10 years from now. But it's just Absolutely. that, like, it's just that they keep hitting on it. They kept hitting on it through the season. Yeah. Like, someone would say, you know, where do you see yourself 10, 10 years from now, right? So I just thought it was 10 years from now, which would be 2269. Yeah. That the accident happens. Well, maybe it does happen 10 years from now. It does not. It happens six, six months before 2266. Maybe Spock found the wrong accident and assumed that that was the accident. You were telling me that you think Spock was wrong. I apologize in advance for any liberties I take. Is that what you're telling me? Mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) He made a logical assumption based on an error. (laughs) We've seen how his logical assumptions... Oh, based on an error. Um... This is a this is a, a knot that we shall not unwind during the course of this show. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe they'll have maybe they'll have to figure this out. Well, there are many knots that were engendered by this show. One of those knots is who is Captain Patel? Yes, they wait all the way until the end of the season to bring Captain Patel back, which I appreciate them not bringing a new character to come and arrest Una because that would have been like. Okay, what? But yeah. like to have to say, that, oh, this is another seed that we planted a long time ago. That, by the way, guys. <laughs> so then Captain Patel comes back at the end, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what is her job? Oh, because she's not Starfleet security because she'd be wearing red, correct? No, she, could she be internal affairs of some sort? No, because she said at the beginning of this episode that she had a date. On the far side of the neutral, uh, yeah, the far side of the neutral zone. Okay, I want to speak into that. Please do. So is Patel talking about crossing the line? She has a date on the far side of the neutral zone. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, but the neutral zone is light. The, the If you just look at the... Like, how wide is the neutral zone? That's my question. Okay, that's a good question. So my question, like, is the neutral zone a foot wide? And it's like you can't go near it because you might cross it so just stay away from it anyway is it a light year long is it an au wide like how big is the neutral zone well there is a good map at three minutes and 30 seconds in the neutral zone goes around romulan space well not all the way around it just goes it just goes along the places where federation touches Romulan. yeah yeah but if you were to go along the follow the line that is light years and light years and light years sure yes my question is how long 
how long is it through the neutral zone like from this side of the neutral zone to the to the rom from the federation side to the romulan side if i go in a straight line how long is it going to take me if i'm traveling like you know one light warp one yeah is it going to take uh, me less than a second <laughs> is it going to take me like 20 minutes well the distance has always looked to me to be significant i think it is like, as well it's at least a light I think it's a uh, okay, sure. I was thinking maybe like a four or five AUs. Remind me what an AU is. It's an astronomical unit. It's a distance from the sun to the Earth. Oh, okay. And on this map, Romulus is very close to the edge of the neutral zone. Romulus. Yes. Planet of Romulus. So playing around with this neutral zone and its edge seem very dangerous. So I don't think that the neutral zone, the neutral zone, is clearly not far enough that either side can't see across it, right? In the episode Balance of Terror, these outposts were being, dis they were being disappeared mm -hmm. along the way. The, the ones that called for help, they disappeared. There was one left. It was, um, it was the one that we talked to that the guy had the, the son aboard. And Captain Battelle says she has a date on the far side of the neutral zone. Mm -hmm. She leaves. Mm -hmm. A Romulan ship, cloaked, comes to the Federation side of the neutral zone, destroys a couple of outposts, gets in a skirmish with... Oh, no, no, no. This is not what happened. I keep getting confused about time. <laughs> so actually, so she... Okay, so wait. So wait. So wait. She left in 22... So, so here's what... I, so she, she left. Mm -hmm. They met up with the people from Outpost 11. And then she came back and took Una. She said she had a date on the far side of the neutral zone. She left and then she came right back and got Una. Is that what happened? Because I think that's what happened. Well, we don't know. I, I guess. She either I, didn't make it to the her Romulan neutral zone meeting or her Romulan neutral zone meeting prompted her to come back and get Una. Uh-huh. Because they happened in rapid succession. Okay. In TOS, they also talk about the, there's a Klingon neutral zone, and one of the things I've always been wondering about is, are they the same neutral zone, or are there two? They are not. They are not. No, these are two different neutral zones. The Klingon neutral zone, which was between the Federation and Klingon space that, I guess, is pretty much dissolved by the 24th century, or in the 24th century, and then there's mm -hmm. the Romulan neutral zone, which, mm -hmm. there's a Romulan, there's a neutral zone between the Federate, the, between the Klingons and the Romulans as well. After oh, the Kittimer okay. Accords. The what accords? The Kittimer Accords. Oh, okay. That's what Kittimer was about. Yeah, I think Kittimer was really close to all that. Yeah, that's the whole, that's what Kittimer was about. Kittimer was about who, which side, basically, to me, it basically turned out which side are the Klingons going to be on. Mm -hmm. This is what Kittimer was about. So it became Federations and Klingons and then Romulans. So the neutral zone between Federation and Klingon could be dissolved. And we still have like one between them and them and one between us and them. Romulus itself is close enough to the neutral zone relatively compared to say outpost four that they don't need a listening post that close because Romulus itself can be the listening post. Do you think that outpost 11 yeah. could spy on Romulus from its location like directly on the home world? Where's outpost? The one where Commander Al-Salah was going. Uh, everything was within everything they talked about was outpost 1, 2, 3, and 4 what was outpost 11? 
There was no Outpost 11? Not from what I can see on... I, I just brought up the image on my TV. I don't know what Outpost... Well, whichever was one, the one that Al Salah was on, whatever, how far do you think it was from the Romulan neutral zone? It was... I mean, from Romulus. Way. From Romulus. How far do you think it was from Romulus? A straight line all the way through the neutral zone and then maybe another AU or light year. So like two light years. Right. So if it can spy in the Romulan homeworld, don't you think the Romulans probably maybe should destroy it? That certainly gives them a motive to destroy it. Yeah, I mean, it, it gives them it gives them a... It's almost like a dare to destroy it. Like, what if Earth was that close to the edge of the neutral zone and the Romulans put some spy satellites along the edge of it? Would we just let them sit there with their spy satellites? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, both sides have the right to monitor and make sure the other side is not breaking the treaty. And what do they do if the other side says they're not breaking the treaty, but you can see that they are? Why, what would be the need to hide an installation a mile, a mile deep within an asteroid made of nearly solid lead? What would be the purpose of that? Would it I be because you're- just happened to be ma nearly made out of solid lead. A lot of asteroids are made out of primarily lead. Um, a mile deep probably was the most structurally sound place to have to set up like mm, I'm calling BS on that because we put houses on the surface of Earth not a mile deep yeah but if you saw all the equipment all the things that turn that whole surface of the thing into one big radio antenna was all on the surface or maybe there were solar panels but I don't know what sun uh -huh. would be powering uh -huh. So why would they? So why? So why did he say that they were a mile deep in the asteroid? To give context of how strong the weapon was, because not only did it obliterate their shields. Sure. What I'm getting at is like, what, what, why, 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 why? What was the point? What was the Romulans' purpose? I think the Romulans were testing a prototype on their enemy. Who tests a proto uh, on their enemy? They were gonna lie. They were live testing their prototype. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Whether it was a prototype for a new type of cloaking device or a prototype for the weapon or both, they needed a value, an invaluable target to them to use it on. And why, why, what better target to use it on than this dumb, barely habited rock on the other side of the neutral zone? That's they destroyed one. more than one outpost, though. Yeah, they, they destroyed. Oh, are you suggesting that maybe they didn't know it was an outpost? Because if that were the if that were the argument, then why cross the neutral zone? You, you don't you have asteroids over there? They were also testing whether the Federation would do anything at all, because they also talked about how showing mercy in our culture is a sign of weakness. If they were testing whether we would do anything at all, then why not do it openly? Why cloak yourselves? Because they were testing the new cloaking technology. Because if if they had done it and we didn't know who it was, of course we're not going to do anything. Because we don't know what the hell happened. I don't know. I I don't pretend to know the right. Do you think that maybe the Borg were already messing with the Romulans by now, and that's why they, and they didn't know that it was them, like they had things disappearing, and maybe that's why they came over and started disappearing our things. 
actually it's interesting that you brought up the board because up until the point where i actually saw that it was a romulan ship i was i mean this sounded very familiar to um the neutral zone from tng sure sure and, outpost disappearing along the border yeah and i was convinced that there was going to be a eerie bait and switch and it was going to be the board right up until huh. we left the board behind in the 21st century in in 2063 okay and you may not be familiar with this but there were some Borg that they never announced themselves as the Borg so that's how they got away with oh they didn't know they were Borg so that's how they got away with oh, the ones who were like at the North Pole yeah at the North Pole and sure. they fled into the Delta Fund Okay. They tried to assimilate some people and some things, but those Borg had 24th century level technology of Borg, and they brought it to the 22nd century technology level of Borg in the Delta Quadrant. Uh -huh. So who knows, in, in that alternate universe, already being an alternate universe itself, who knows how much that 24th century technology could have affected those Borg to allow them to progress their plans to let the events of the neutral zone TNG happened in 2266 instead of 2366 or 73 or whatever it was. Okay, I think my brain hurts. <laughs> Do you need to lie down? You're safe. You're amongst friends. There were a lot of touchstones to balance of terror in this episode the use of dramatic lighting mm -hmm. yeah was a marked one also the the moment of the romulan ear reveal where we all <laughs> turned to spock that was that was yet another yeah. their use of horns and harps during during like moments of uh intense emotion they there's a harp uh, a harp section that happens like right at the end of the episode oh, which the music. yeah yes which happens actually there's a lot of harp in the end of uh the last episode of season three of star trek the next generation as well there's a lot of harp in there oh okay so i thought that was a, a neat callback what did you think about this episode overall well i really enjoyed the episode i uh watched through it about three times okay on the third time i was paying a lot more cl closer attention to details mm. i looked at the map that's on the ready room wall for a long time probably at least 10 15 minutes oh the one that shows the romulan neutral zone and the romulan empire on the right hand side yes sort of mimics the well, it, it mimics it updates the same map that sh was shown in balance of terror yeah the balance of terror episode map was certainly a zoom in of those two two and a half sectors right where all those listening posts are mm -hmm. and it gave perspective of how far earth is from romulus and how far earth is from the romulan neutral zone if you just go and make a beeline to oh no that i had noticed that it showed earth on the Federation side as well as showing Romulus on the other side. It did show s several star bases and stuff. I was actually looking for Beta Z and Trill, although there's some indication that Trill hadn't made first contact until somewhere after TOS and prior to TNG. I guess they hadn't made contact, huh? It's yeah. interesting. 
did Jazia hide her spots in the triples episode of DS9? Oh, I don't remember. Hmm. I was noticing that Tellar and they put Wolf 359 on the map. Uh-huh. And I noticed it's, how cool. Yeah, it's right outside of Earth. Yeah. yeah. Going diagonally, the Earth and Romulus are almost two sectors away if these squares represent sectors. Did you have any thoughts on a backdoor pilot? Uh, I did. I did. I thought that we could do a show about Pike and his his world. Red Pike, Admiral Pike, and his his universe. What's going on over there? That timeline. Mm. Okay. You know, a, a lot of fans have been clamoring for a long time to get a proper telling of the uh, Romulan Earth War. I think that uh, going back to get that on screen rather than in fan fiction and novels would be a really good idea. When did the when did that happen? The Romulan War happen at the end of Enterprise ish. Yeah, it started sometime after the end of Enterprise, hmm. and it sort of helped it bring the Alpha Quadrant together. Oh, I see. And it it was just in like the death throes when they finally signed the Federation Charter in uh, twenty one. 61. That's Federation Day. You know, because by the end of the war, the Andorians were sharing shield technology, and then I think the uh, Kling, uh, the Vulcans were also kind of joining in a little bit. They shared more of their technology. So I think that getting an actual proper telling of, of that war would be interesting. I'd be interested in knowing which uh, which tech, when, when, when the uh, Federation was being formed, which technology came from where. Mm-hmm. Like who gave us shields? Who gave us replicators? Who gave us transporters? Like, yeah, did we develop that after we became a federation? That's a, those are good questions. Why? Thank you. They're just things that I would be like to see in a show around that area, around yeah. that era. Well, and there's a lot of uh, beta canon that talks about uh, the NXL one getting upgrades to make it look more closely like a Constitution class ship. So they do like a nx class refit and they added second engineering hall and i you know i'd like to know if that ever did happen if it actually was canon or to have it canonized apparently pike hasn't changed his hairstyle in 10 or 15 years yeah no like i, I mean if you had that hairstyle really like why would you change it unless you were getting beaten by an orion oh <laughs> okay i like the uh classic shocking reveal just at the end of the teaser at the beginning of the episode was this the eyebrow the spot bro this was pike was in his quarters and future pike shows up and then they cut to the uh, credits oh yes that's a good time to go to the credits once you get the future version of yourself there mm-hmm. now is it me or has i has that box always been sitting on uh pike's coffee table the box that the time crystal was in that future pike used to send present pike into the- oh i've never noticed it before okay have you seen it before it seemed vaguely familiar but i imagine it would give some continuity issues especially if it always did have the time crystal in it sure yeah. unless it was somehow just transported into the box and the box was originally empty okay 
What did you think about the 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 uh, portrayal of Captain Kirk in this episode? Well, I thought that the actor did a really good job of doing what? Well, I thought thought the reveal of him sitting there on the bridge of the Farragut. Okay. I thought he looked more like Shatner than oh. um the actor that plays in the the JJ verse. Okay. Maybe it was just his hairstyle. Huh. I I, I don't know, but I think also the 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 Kirk and the JJ verse is supposed to be a lot younger too. Okay. I did think that it was a missed opportunity for the actor that plays uh, Sam Kirk to play his brother, since William Shatner played. Sam sure, Kirk. wouldn't that have made sense? Yeah. And then we'd all be kicking ourselves right now, like, oh, why didn't we see that coming? Yeah. Plus, I thought you know it would be an interesting thing to have I mean all he would have to do is shave yeah like uh, strange new worlds why didn't you do that <laughs> <laughs> because if Shatner played both of them then why couldn't this that's interesting it does seem like a missed opportunity yeah it, it, so another missed opportunity would have been if they had had Rebecca Romain play both Una and Nurse Chapel definitely like they they could have I mean obviously they have scenes a lot of scenes that are where the other one's not there and then any scenes where both of them are there they would just have to do some special effects yeah because I mean, they're I both mean, they played by so Majel he... Barrett originally yeah right That's well I mean. and we've we've done duplicate people so much now that it's just basically a package you know comes with your software that edit you know you're editing <laughs> software so you wouldn't it wouldn't be remarkable for you okay that's cool well no it would be cool to have it but it would also be easy to do nowadays just okay. as easy as it was to do the duplicate pipe fair enough okay i got you if if kirk pushed warp nine for as long as they could is that the tos scale or the TNA, tng scale did they that is an interesting question is that a continuity error or is that just an editing error I think it's a retcon. A retcon? I believe that we're readjusting the warp scale because the warp scale during the original series, if I'm not mistaken, goes above nine. Yeah, sometimes they've mentioned that I think is I've heard numbers as high as 13. Right, so I think that maybe we are retconning the warp scale to maybe be more in line with the next generation. Yeah. Or maybe not because the yeah. next generation ships need to be faster than these ships. And these oh. ships can go warp nine, so yeah. So I feel like a tooling of a retooling of the of the warp matrix needs to be done. But I do think they're making the max. I think the, the convention they're sticking with is I think they're making their maximum speed warp, you know, nine point something. Yeah, nine point infinity because you can't reach warp ten. Says who? <laughs> well, without altering your DNA. You're talking to those, yeah. Talk to those lizard babies about warp ten. I I think that the foresight of using warp ten is the you go everywhere. I think that that was a little short sighted because I think that number is a little too low. Well, this is this is an actual like mathematical thing that people figured out that in order to go warp ten, you would have to be at all places at all times. So that's why they made that the upper reach of the scale based on actual math and geometry and physics oh okay well why not just readjust the scale so that it's like i don't know 4.100 
Oh, so you can have smaller increments of, of warp? Yeah. So you'd be like warp 47, warp 78? Yeah. That doesn't sound complicated at all. Okay, you're right. Because then you don't have to go with warp 9.9999999 repeating, you know. Yes, this is to true. To keep on increasing your warp. Yeah. So what do you say we take a break and then we come back and we check our mail? Maybe we'll find some holes there. Oh, yeah. There was a couple things I noticed about <laughs> the effects from that were similar. You mentioned the shadowing of um, Ortega's eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. I thought that was also kind of a, an effect that they often also use for bedroom eyes on the original series. Yeah. I mean, of course. And then did you notice with the uh, tail comet lights? I, I was curious. Did you think that on one ship they should be going one way around the bridge and the other ship they should be going the other way around the bridge? I actually thought that on both ships they should be going in both directions from the middle. That's a good, valid point. I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> but I did think for a second, oh, they should be going different directions because they're looking, they're point, they're floating through the thing in opposite direct, but they're not, mm. right? They're floating, they're they're pointed, the ships are pointed in the same direction. Mm, yes. Okay, that makes sense. I, How come they're, they can see each other? How come they're out of range? For for phaser fire, yeah, I didn't. He did a lot of double speak, I think, in that moment because I believe what he said was, "We can't fire because we're out of range. We might hit you." Well, I think in that moment, the Farragut and the Romulan ship were very close to each other because the Romulan ship had just attacked the Farragut. Exactly. So Kirk should have need to tell Pike, "Hey, could you please draw their fire so they don't finish us off?" Mm -hmm. But that's what literally Kirk had to call them and say, "Hey, could you maybe help us out here?" Yeah, that's that's what that's what his call meant, and that's why he cussed him out later in his quarters. Like, homie, like you were just gonna let it let them pick us off. It's <laughs> the hell. Okay, now I understand that part better of how he hesitated. Yeah, yeah I don't understand why he hesitated. Although, although Mitchell was definitely surprised that she actually grazed them, as well she should be. Yeah, <laughs> because they seemed like they were very very hard to hit. I think we're about talking about two different ranges because light is light and light continues, right? Yeah, and phasers are light phased energy. We can see them, so there's apparently a light component, but there's only so far that we can that we know what they're gonna hit within a certain range, and then once out of that range, they could either fizzle out or or you know not be true to where we fired them. Okay, because they could move. Right. Oh, sure. Within enough, oh sure, if it's, if they're, oh, because if our phasers only move at a certain speed, then they could move before the phaser hits them? Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're seeing light at light speed, and phasers apparently travel at infinitely slower than light speed, or infinitely approaching light speed without breaking light speed, then the image that you're seeing could be different than what you're actually seeing than what you're experiencing yeah but they did seem to be like less maybe only a u apart it, it almost sounds as if this episode was confusing and difficult <laughs> it does yeah definitely 
one of the characters that I thought was missing was the Romulan Centurion. Did they mesh the Centurion and the commander together? There was a sub commander and a commander. Yeah, but in Bounce of Terror, there was a sub. Oh, yeah, the Centurion was the one who sent the message in the original episode. Well, he was the guy, he was the old guy in the original episode, but he wasn't the commander. What did he do? I don't, I, you know, I never understood his role. In, so in, in the, the original interview. episode, he uh, maybe that's why they removed him because he served oh, no purpose. Okay. Because there didn't need to be anybody but the t- other than to be a confident and a guide to the commander. Sure, sure. You mentioned in passing that uh, Scotty's voice. You weren't sure if it was played a recording of Jimmy Doohan, but uh, I wanted to point out they could have used his voice and just had a different actor's arm reach for Spock to hand him the tool. But then they still credit both. Oh, they would have credited. So they they certainly didn't use the actor's voice and then Jimmy Doohan's arm. I'll tell you that much. Well, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I guess they would still credit the voice of Jimmy Doohan. Well, you would imagine so for sure. Yeah. I thought it was really cool how the Romulan uniforms in this were more similar to TNG style, but while still remaining faithful to the original balance of terror style of Romulan. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the Romulans have a kind of a distinct style. I I think it's, it can be difficult to stray from the Romulan style. I mean, unless of course you're making unification. Yeah. (laughs) Before you realize, Oh, we need to make Cardassians. So let's not do this. Yeah. This plate anymore. Did you notice how the Romulan extras, instead of having helmets this time, they just had bolt cuts that covered their ears. Yeah, interesting that they chose not to do helmets this time. I, I wonder what that choice was. Well, I think that people have always thought the helmets looked tacky, and I think the helmets were only there so that they didn't have to use makeup on all the actors. Oh, okay, I see. I see, that makes sense. Save money. I forget if we've mentioned this before, but did you hear the scream just before the Big E went to warp? You're talking about the the, the, the like the wildcat or whatever it is. Yeah, the wildcat yeah. scream just as the the plasma ball is about to hit them and they warp out. So when I when I heard that wildcat, I thought of the song All Along the Watchtower. Okay. I'm not sure I've heard that song. You, you probably may have or may have not, but one of the lines of the song is about how uh, it's the song's basically about how we're, you know, along this this line and we're we're the lookout, you know, against the enemy and we're up in the watchtower and the wildcat growls in the distance. That's just happens to be one of the lines of the song. So it's I it brought me back to that song because of the fact that they're like along the line and the wildcat growls. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that that uh, triggered that memory for you. Okay, <laughs> but it's definitely a cool sound. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, it could be a wildcat. Maybe that's what they're just using and morphing it. I mean, it sounds to me. It sounds just like a wildcat. It's like like they didn't even like hide it. Okay, is how it sounds to me. Okay. What is your feeling about when they do the effect of the person walking, holding the camera, and the background moves? Oh yeah. So when they did that effect, when he's walking through sick bay, I felt that feeling with him, and that's the feeling of all eyes are on me the entire everything around me is 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 revolving around me 
I'm on yeah. the spot. <laughs> you know, like the whole universe is hinging on me is what is the feeling that that gave me, but to look at it and then that's what made me, and then thinking about it made me connect with it. Yeah, that's probably, that's how that, that's, I, that's oh, what I would feel. I definitely appreciated the effect in this one. I, I've seen it used in things like music videos and stuff. And sometimes if it's done poorly, it kind of is jarring to me. And I think they, in this instance, they used it very well. Well, kudos to them. Yes. Near the end of the episode, Admiral Pike is uh, holding a picture of Captain's, yeah, Captain Pike. Are you going for the shirts? The shirts. Yeah. So he had the yellow green shirt from the actual uh, impor- pilot. Importantly, the crushed velvet shirts. That's that's what those shirts are. Okay. But then it's also a nice indication of a peaceful transition of power. From April to Pike? Yes. Okay. Uh yeah, between yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the Romulans who are basically the American Confederacy with spaceships ever have peaceful transitions of power. <laughs> Probably not, because well, although the Cardassians seem to do this more, I, every other episode it seems like there's a new coup, and you know, I mean, how did how did Sh- Shizan get power? Did Shizan have power? I mean, he claimed to be the new Praetor. I mean, he destroyed the Congress. <laughs> well, there you go. That's exactly yeah. He 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 wanted to destroy the Congress, hang Mike Pence, and declare himself leader. I mean, Mike. Pence, uh, never mind. Uh, uh, <laughs> Did they predict January sixth? Oh, the poll results are in. They are. Would you like to talk about them? Yeah. So this episode we have polls that derive from the ninth episode of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, which was called "All Those Who Wonder." Mm, yes. Our results consist of the funniest line of the episode, the most inspirational line of the episode, the worst line of the episode, what the most popularly voted best backdoor pilot for the, from the episode would be, and mm-hmm. who the most valuable crew member, most valuable person of the episode was, and the answers to any questions that we may have proposed. We have all of those categories this time. Where would you like to start? Really? To choose Earl's own adventure book today. Let's start with most inspirational. Okay, so uh, if you'll you'll recall, we had actually similar lines. One was Hemmer. Of course the people you care about are going to cause you pain. It will hurt, but the love it yields will far outweigh the sorrow. And the other was, in echoing similar sentiments during Hemmer's funeral, was Ahura saying, The people you love the most can cause you the most pain. But it's the people you love that can mend your heart when you feel broken. Mm-hmm. So strangely, sir, mm-hmm. you're on Strange New World. With 50% of the votes, <laughs> we have a tie. Nice. It's the same line. So let's do a positive sandwich. What, what was the worst line? Your proposed worst line for that episode was when La'an protests... I'm not being emotional. Okay. I had proposed that it was... Himmer when he says that it's better to leave than to be the one left behind which he also agrees is a bad line <laughs> okay. and with 67% of the votes Lon has won for worst line of the episode Ooh, interesting. 
Your choices are backdoor pilot, MVP, and query. Well, let's complete the sandwich with the funniest line. The funniest line of the episode was between Laon. Oh my God, this is delicious. <laughs> and Mbinga saying emergency London's ever scheduled mm. and the world has decided that with 68% of the vote Mbinga has the funniest line of the episode all those who wonder nice who was the MVP of the episode so it's a with it's a it's a reverse decision from worst line right Uh-oh. so so where whereas Hemmer gets 33% of the vote for worst line. He gets 67% of the vote in MVP, making Hemmer the winner of the MVP for this episode. The other choice was Laon. Interesting. What questions did you pose to the internet? The question was about Pike's fire. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks it's real. <laughs> Except for me. Apparently I'm the only one who thinks that that's a real fire. Yeah. We don't know when fire, well, we don't know when like the computer taking care of fire suppression and stuff started. You know, at various times in the show, we see open flames, what we assume are open flames, but it makes sense possibly since they're starting to experiment with holograms that it's a fake fire. Well, I mean, there's definitely uh, holographic fires available. Let's not forget Captain Burnham's quarter. I'm sorry, uh, Lieutenant Burnham's quarters where she had mm. the candles all around her. Yeah. So the holographic fire has been proven on episode uh, seized during season uh, negative one, I guess, of this show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Were there any other questions that we posted to the internet? That is everything from the episode All Those Who Wonder, which was the ninth episode of Strange New Worlds. Great. Stay tuned for when we get to our wrap-up episode, where we will give you stats on who overall is the MVP of the season, as well as some of the best, funniest lines from... From Let's Talk About Treks. So we do have polls for this episode as well. This will be our last poll for the season for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yes, we do. We do. What are they? Well, we have uh, our proposals for the most inspirational line. Oh, I had two. Okay, let me let me help you out with that. What are they? Okay, well, I I really enjoy the line from the Romulan commander. In a different reality, I could have called you friend. That line caught my ear because I thought that it would have a little more depth if there was something in the story that echoed it. Or if there was something in the Balance of Terror episode rather that echoed it. The commander is talking to the Centurion and he talks about being tired of war. But he's yes. also talking in 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 the new one, he's also talking to his his XO and he's saying, You do not remember a time of prior to war. I do. And he also he also told Pike that he too tires of war. Yes. I thought it was inspirational because so many times we have Romulans and Federation members that I I think it's true with Picard and Tomahawk in any other time that we meet the Romulans. There's often times when there are equivalent, you know, 
So it's often true that the individual Romulans can see our point of view and were it not for the society in which they grew up and exist, they might... And the politics. Yes, they might be more inclined to follow the paths that we, well, we as starship captains (laughs) tend to present. (laughs) Yes. But unfortunately, we are, our hands are tied by politics and... hmm? Convention. Yeah. Maybe it's just a line that I like. Maybe it's not necessarily inspirational. Okay. But I like when Spock says... I believe I may owe you a debt of gratitude, Captain. Mm. Although for... Yes. I do not. I appreciated that as well for him saying it. But you're going with the the Romulan commanders uh, for your inspirational line? Well, I can see some inspiration in the Spock line because he doesn't know what's going on, but he still gives his gratitude... Well, I think he knows exactly what's going on to a certain extent. He doesn't know that he's gonna that he would lose a leg and get radiation burns over forty percent of his body. But it was clear that Pike was saying, without saying, that he saved Spock's life. Yes, and he's gracious, even though, or he's he's grateful, even though he doesn't have all the details. Yes, like being grateful to our grandparents, even though we don't have the all all the details of what they did. Correct. So which one are you choosing? I think I'll choose... I'll probably go ahead and stick with the Romulan commander. All right. So mine was uh, actually toward the beginning of the episode, and I felt like it sort of summed up the change in Pike toward the end of the episode, where we've taken the story that we've known since Discovery and we've added some new details and made it something fresh. So it's when Pike explains that he's... pasta mama. Just add eggs, parmesan, lightly saute, and it transforms from leftovers. So that's sort of like along the lines of, you know, uh, taking taking the worst lemons life has to offer you and making the best lemonade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's. I, I can see where you're coming from with that. I had some contenders for what I felt was the funniest line of the episode. Mm, how many did you have? I chose two, uh, three different ones, but I think that I've settled on my uh, on my on the one that I, you know the one that I really want. But would you like to hear my runner ups? Runners up. I would love to hear your runners up. Or your honorable mentions. So one was when we meet uh, new Una, the the Una that's apparently worked out all of her trauma that she's that she's still reeling from in season one of Strange New Worlds, and uh, she steps down off the transporter platform and rushes over to Pike and gives him a hug, and he says, "I didn't know you were a hugger, Lieutenant." Una. I mean, what's her name? Lawn. <laughs> I actually laughed out loud at, <laughs> when that uh, moment first happened. Uh, another one was when Captain Patel says to Pike, uh, when they're discussing the beard or no beard. But that's what you're going for, man at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he does a double take because she doesn't know why that joke is a double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know at this point yet either, but yeah. He knows he, he knows he's out of time. Oh, out of time, like in the wrong time. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. I hadn't thought, I just thought man, out of time, like he doesn't have time left. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> the one that I settled on was from uh, 
pike to Kirk when Kirk comes up angrily, <laughs> shoving his finger in Pike's chest about why didn't you draw their fire instead of letting, you know, them yes. take the chance to finish off my ship. And Pike says, If you're saying you're more willing to take risks than I am, I don't disagree. And let me remind you that you're saying that on my ship after yours has been destroyed. <laughs> it's a pretty sick Pike burn. Yeah, Almost as sick as Pike's uh, ability to catch a pressure point while someone's walking by him. Like like he did with the security officer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was just, just reaches out without even like really yeah, looking. Yeah, no, that was like. just put him, put him on his pressure point. Yep. I'm calling him pressure point Pike. Okay, sure. So that was your, your definitive one? That's correct. What was yours? I had two. One was uh, similar to yours. The whole beard thing. Oh, okay. So same same line. Right. Yeah. Same 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 line. And then an, another one that I was considering was when Pike literally says that I'm just uh, talking to myself. Uh, that was actually a pretty good one. I actually would sooner put that on my worst line, which is where I put put it. See, so, see, so you you just really hate on punnies, don't you? <laughs> I, I occasionally. I mean, so it, it, maybe next season we do need to implement the most pungent of the cheese award because the worst line is often just the line that I feel is the most pungent of the cheese. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So for me, this was that line. Um, and because of that, my vote for your funniest line will be the the out of time. Okay, well, I have a counter to that because okay. I was kind of straddling the fence with that beard line whether it was best line or worst line okay but then the other worst line that i had was pike when he first shows up at in 2266 he's not sure what's going on and he defaults to his our our, our previous best line <laughs> from the yes. first episode uh hi sorry to interrupt <laughs> I'm Christopher Pike. So even whenever this is an uncomfortable situation, you're not really sure what to do, just make sure you say hi. Hi. Uh, my people and yours are uh, hi. very much alike. Okay. And who do you consider to be the most valuable person for this episode? I'm kind of on the fence between two. Admiral Pike for saving the day, ultimately sure. saving the universe. Yes. That's That was my choice. So I, I, I'm with you 100% on that. Red Pike is my guy. Spock for being there, working on the thing, regardless of, you know, in inevitably getting the living daylights beaten out of him by the side of a Jeffrey's tube. Yes. Apparently falling down a ladder and catching his leg in a ladder and getting it ripped off. I have no idea what happened to him, but it was horrendous. I think he got caught in a radiation yes. explosion. So our uh, MVPs, our uh, uh, we're choosing between uh, Red Pike and Spock. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. There was so I didn't have any 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 questions that I needed to pose, but I noticed that there was a Q and A that was answered during the episode, and that was when Captain Patel says, "I'm always curious who the Chris of tomorrow is going to be. Beard? No beard?" And the answer is no beard. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Another contender for lines could be okay. a replacement of To Be Continued with Because This Isn't Over. That was a, a, a good uh, ending to a season, I thought. 
<laughs> there will be more. The adventure continues. Yeah, exactly. Near the end of the episode, Kirk is reading, or Pike is reading Kirk's prime timeline record. There's a line that says, Palm Leaf of Axanar, Peace Mission. Are you familiar That's with interesting? The- I am very familiar with Axanar. That's very interesting. So I but I also think that Axanar comes from canon. Okay. Like the word Axanar. It is interesting that they would have an on screen reference to Axanar though. Mm-hmm. Curiouser and curiouser. I wonder what that means. What do you think it means? I don't know. I mean, clearly it was a peace mission. It didn't indicate how involved he was in that, but he was there. I couldn't begin to speculate. Okay. Along with the uh, new new version of the To Be Continued, did you catch uh, Pike staring right down the camera and obliterating the fourth wall? I did. I did. He definitely stared into the camera at the end of the season after <laughs> saying, we'll be right back <laughs> after these messages. <laughs> we'll be right back definitely. after these lower decks. Ooh. And these yeah, Picards ooh. and these dis- maybe not discoveries. Hopefully, prodigies, though. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I've been enjoying prodigy. Okay, have we anything else? There might be. Well, there there are at least ratings for this episode. I, I'm glad that I was a little bit judicious with my ratings this season. Didn't go into any, uh, you know, really above nine, nine eights. Mm-hmm. Because this one is definitely 9,962 quads loose. I mean, I could say the point zero, but we can just imply it. There definitely has to be a 10. So I went with 10,457. Well, this one got up there. This is a pretty good episode. Great episode mm-hmm. to a great to the end of a great season. Looking forward I, to the next. Excited about what's going to happen with Una. Quick question. What class is the Farragut? It's funny how the Farragut keeps coming to the rescue of the Enterprise. Yeah. Oh, right. I mean, it rescued the crew out of the saucer that's correct yes <laughs> it's a different registry number every time we meet it though. It, it really is though oddly it's a farragut type federation starship <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the type that's what the <laughs> we don't know yet yeah it's like listen we're gonna put some curve nacelles on this just call it what it is <laughs> okay the farragut that we saw previous to this was the nebula class right that was in uh generations but we also if i'm not mistaken saw a farragut on deep space nine we, yeah we might have yeah so uh there was a farragut in do do i want to say chrysalis chrysalis yes it brought um it brought the augments to see julian oh okay so if Dr. Omega is still on the Enterprise, but we are led to assume that at some point Scotty replaced Hammer, where is McCoy? Not here yet. He'll be along soon. He wasn't he wasn't when we saw Pike's Enterprise in the uh in the pilot before those old scientists, there was yeah. no McCoy. It was another yeah. guy. Yeah. He served him booze. He did indeed, yes. <laughs> Could, could Kirk and McCoy's conversation in his quarters been a key factor that helped Kirk respond appropriately in uh, 
Oh no! I just think it was Kirk. I just think they have different they have different captaining styles. Like okay. Burnham would have approached the situation differently than Kirk would have approached the situation differently than Pike would have approached the situation. I think that Pike is more of a card captain. Janeway's more of a Kirk captain. Okay. And I think that Pike is a Pike is a Picard style. I think more <laughs> okay. than a Kirk style. I think Picard okay. would have started the Romulan War. <laughs> Well, everybody. Yeah. Thank you for joining us Thanks for so the much. finale of Strange New Worlds. Yes. Thanks very much for voting. Also, we really appreciate you guys um, interacting with us on the polls. Yes. And uh, look forward to us next time when we will be giving you some further statistics on the results of the polls for the entire season. We'll also have our first mailbag. Oh. We have a few comments to to talk about. I'm really excited for. Until then, stay positive, dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. The continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's talk about Trex is a production of Anodyne Relay, supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttrex.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at TrexTalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.